The Provoke Podcast, brought to you by Provoke Media and produced by the international broadcast specialist, Marketeers. Welcome to the Provoke Media Podcast. I'm Megan Miller, Head of Content Partnerships at Provoke and host of today's episode. Today, we bring you cyber attacks, preparing for the inevitable with ARPR. In the 1990s and early 2000s, the primary targets of cyber attacks were governmental organizations, financial service brands, and large high-tech firms. Today, every industry from supply chains to healthcare to retail and businesses of all sizes are are targets for cyber criminals. In this episode, we discuss the critical information marketing and communications professionals need about today's heightened cybersecurity landscape, as well as the tools they should prepare for before an attack occurs. We'll also explore um, the top considerations for breach response. With us today to do that are Anna Ruth Williams, Founder and Chief Strategy Officer at ARPR, and Jeff Blaine, Senior VP and Chief Marketing Officer at SonicWall. Thank you both for being here. Thank you. Yeah, thanks um, for having us. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, great day to chat about cybersecurity. Um, Jeff, if you want to give us a little background about where you come to from this conversation, and then we'll bounce to Anna and we'll kind of set the stage here. Yeah, sure. So I have a, a heavy background in content and corporate cart communications and um, also in cybersecurity. So I've been in the cybersecurity industry for 16, 17 years now. Um, so I have, a, I have a good perspective on, you know, what, what companies can go through, um, particularly in the first, you know, 48, 72 hours and, and, you know, best practices for, you know, staying prepared and staying ready and, you know, what to expect and what to do in that time of crisis. Absolutely. And Anna Ruth, you obviously have many experiences with your own clients, helping them navigate these undesirable situations. Um, and in doing so in such a painless way as possible. So you want to give us a little background of, about what ARPR does and kind of um, where your experience comes to the table for this subject. Yeah, absolutely. So ARPR represents uh, technology, uh, B2B SaaS-based companies. Um, and unfortunately, <laughs> um, many of our clients uh, have faced data breaches within the past two years even. Um, we're seeing an acceleration of that as well. Um, we do have our own uh, cybersecurity practice group um, at ARPR that represents cybersecurity companies. So we even have more acute knowledge and expertise uh, within the inner workings um, of cyber criminals and their motivations, as well as what happens during breaches. So we work with clients on the front end before a breach even occurs with uh, crisis comms uh, planning um, and cybersecurity readiness uh, with their marketing teams. And then, of course, we support them uh, during and after the crisis um, when we go into rapid response and then reputation management mode. It's a hard thing for people to want to prepare for. No one wants to think about the fact that they they may need this at some point, but um, the preparedness component for these things can really make the inevitable such go so much more smoothly. Yeah. It also reduces stress and anxiety among the entire team, right? When we yeah. have a plan on the shelf that we can pull off um, and it helps us think more rationally. Absolutely. Um, Jeff, if you don't mind, like, setting the backdrop for us a little bit, um, how cybercrime, like, has become much more prevalent, what's driving that increase, and why, what, like, why is it becoming so necessary to have practices like ARPRs? 
Yeah, I mean, cybercrime has been been around since the you know the advent of the internet. I don't think that's any any news in itself, but it's really um, it's really been amplified to a new level uh, as of late. You know, in the last you know five ten years, so much so I think even more like in the last two to three years, it's pretty much household terminology at this point. I think the common person probably has a good idea what ransomware is. Five, 10 years ago, or you know, not 10 years ago, it didn't exist, but five, seven, eight years ago, you know, ransomware, what, what is that? Maybe they knew, knew malware. They probably knew virus and phishing. Um, but it's just it's just mainstream news. It's it's top of it's it's linked to everything from you know, education, healthcare, um, geopolitical co- conflicts. Um, and, and give it talking about the um the really the increase, you know, ransomware alone, you know, increased, you know, 105% uh, year over year um, in 2021, um, you know, and, ta- and these types of attacks, um, you know, can, they can be financially motivated, politically motivated. There's a lot of hacktivism that goes around. Um, so it's really hard to pinpoint, you know, what's driving or what the motive is or what the agenda is because it's, you know, like a lot of cyber criminal or criminal activity for that matter. Um, there, there's a lot of, you know, different things that drive people to, to do that. Um, but then it's like, it's, it, the problem is really compounded when um, organizations aren't proactive enough in setting policy, uh, ensuring that they have a sound and, you know, in best practice-based uh, security posture, um, having policy around patching. Um, it just gives cyber criminals a, a much greater attack vector and much more, um, you know, much more, um, many more targets for of opportunity, um, and you know the double clicking into that. You know, cyber criminals are really more in tune with, you know, the lack of response, the lack of preparation than than ever before. You know, they have readily available tools that allows them to find weaknesses in organizations' network, whether that's you know something that's not patched, whether it's a, a, a zero day, um, you know. They're out there looking every single hour of every single day, um, regardless of the size of your organization. That's a lot of technological terms. It's a lot to like, it feels like it's a glossary in and of itself for, you know, business owners or marketing comms, people who maybe would prefer to not have to know those things. Um, And Anna Ruth, is there... Is there like, are there areas that your practice or that you've seen where you've been able to just sort of like even familiarizing with that terminology or like setting that, that foundation has eased or is able to ease a little bit, make it less scary? Yeah. So I'll kind of talk, I think the best way to answer that Megan would be to talk through uh, what to do before and then in the first 48 hours, right? So as I alluded to earlier, before a crisis even uh, emerges, first of all, you have to know that it's inevitable now. It's not an if, it's a when. Now, the severity of the attack um, depends on, to to Jeff's point, um, your security posture going into it. You know, unfortunately, that's a bit out of marketing is marketing's control, right? That's on the other side of the house with um, with IT uh, compliance risk, etc. Um, so from the marketing and communications perspective, you want to have a robust crisis communications plan on the shelf. Um, you would be shocked, maybe not shocked, but very surprised at how few corporations 
in particular, when you go down into small and mid-sized businesses, have a crisis comms plan on the shelf. In that plan should include cyber scenario planning. Um, in every crisis plan we put together for clients, there's always going to be a cyber readiness because the way we approach a data breach is going to be very different than the way we're going to approach a natural disaster, right? Or CEO misconduct, right? So that's first. Um, the other thing is that, and Jeff can speak um, more technically here, but the IT department will have an incident response plan. Um, just like it, it, think of them, think of them as the as the parallel. Like marketing should have crisis comms plan. There's going to be an incident response plan that's on the IT side of the house. Both have to understand and read the other's plans and actually integrate them. So when making your crisis comms plan, or if you're working with an outside vendor on doing that, you have to have read the incident response plan and make sure that they have alignment. Right. So that's before yeah. the first 48 hours. Sometimes. A lot of times that's dictated by how um, the attack was first uncovered. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Jeff, I, would you say that the majority um, of attacks today are first discovered on the dark web? Yeah, usually that's a, a pretty um, pretty common early indicator. Um, either you'll, and like if you take ransomware, for example, either you'll make first contact from the threat actor itself, or you'll have a forensic firm or a government body reach out to you and they see evidence on the dark web of it. Um, You know, in my experiences, those are pretty, pretty commonly the top two. Um, When it boils up to mainstream, um, it'll be on social media. And then, you know, you better, to your point, you better have your communication plan ready. Correct. And I'll say, if you're a B2B company, I have actually seen um, the anomaly initially detected by a customer. Um, This actually happened to us with one of our health IT clients. Um, And so so it really depends. The first 48 hours is first going to be dictated by how was this even discovered, right? Mm -hmm. Ideally, the marketing team should be looped in ASAP. So um, instead of having legal risk and IT being the only ones in the inner circle, they've got to bring in marketing. Because to Jeff's point, as soon as this emerges on social, the communications crisis plan has to be activated, right? You're now um, in reaction mode at that point, exactly. really. Exactly. We got to go yeah. into rapid response. Um, so in terms of the marketing activation workflow, first define the level of crisis. Most of the time, and and I like to define crisis one, two, three, four, with four being the least, right? Uh, Four being an angry customer on Twitter um, about something, uh, and one being corporate reputation is immediately at risk, right? Uh Um, And so most of the time, you're going to put a a cyber incident and immediately in level one or two. Um, And if it's in level two, it has a high risk of escalating into level one, if not managed appropriately, right? Mm -hmm. So first, define the crisis. Uh, Mm -hmm. Number two, you want to escalate media and social monitoring ASAP. Um, So 
putting new uh, search terms in your media monitoring software, Google Alerts, having uh, also putting in those search terms in um, your social management platform, right? Um, and this monitoring needs to happen 24-7. So designate someone on the marketing team, rotate time slots. Um, we've, we've helped clients with this before, right? Megan, you get 8 a.m. to noon. Jeff, you get noon to four and so on, right? Um and as soon as that monitoring is activated, begin crafting the holding statements um, and that messaging. That should also include your an internal comms lens. Yeah. And I'm including board communication and investor communication in that internal bucket, right? Um, so begin drafting those holding statements. And we can talk a little bit more about the tone and voice yes. and everything yeah. and how that messaging will evolve, but I'll save that. Um, then I would say, I guess I'm getting, what am I on? Number, point number three, four now is yeah. Four, yeah, three or four, begin developing a working FAQ. This FAQ is going to be a living and breathing document throughout the crisis, as, as Jeff alluded to, the forensic team um, peels back the, the onion layers of how the breach occurred, the extent of it, um, and um, and the mitigation resolution. And right? would you call that uh, an internal FAQ or an external FAQ? Both. Okay. Both. Um, yeah. and in, in, my ex- in my experience, the internal FAQ usually evolves into the external FAQ mm-hmm. through, throughout the, you know, investigation process. So, you know, one thing I really wanted to hit on, Anna Ruth, is, um, you know, the internal comms uh, standpoint, um, particularly that first holding statement. Like if there's enough chatter, like whether it's social media or customers, if you have commun- online communities and they call in like a support person or reach out to their salesperson or, you know, whatever, it depends on the company, but then they're like, I have no idea what happens. They should at least be prepared, have some situational awareness that something is happening. Even if it is a fairly generic statement, it shows a level of uh, preparedness and, you know, confidence in, you know, in the company and the brand and, you know, understanding what's happening. And, and I, and to your point, the first 48 hours, it's, it's going to be, a, there's a fog of war to it a little bit and how you operate and your response there will be, you know, dissected later on. So, you know, I can't, I can't reiterate the enough of how, how important it is to be factual, confident, but, you know, transparent during that process. Completely agree. And message consistency, yeah. message consistency to Jeff's point, yeah. your customer success team um, needs to immediately have that messaging, but that has to be consistent with the others. And yeah. I would add to that, when you send that internal uh, memo, and, and by yeah. the way, this can take the shape of a memo, it can be a town hall, right? Uh, Whatever is proper uh, protocol based on the level of crisis, as well as how you normally communicate transparently internally, you have got to include a very strongly worded um, statement to your employees that if they receive a media inquiry, they have to immediately escalate that and that no one in the company is authorized to speak on behalf of the company externally, unless you are speaking to a customer with, you know, this message that's going And a follow on to that, even you could put confidential in, you know, um, all that in the email, but you have to assume whatever you send out company-wide or wide to a large group that yeah. it will get out. So yeah. draft with that in mind, you could warn and ask and all that, but just assume, cause you know, we've seen that 
time and time again in the media, you know, that le- leaks to a journalist, uh, you know, I got an internal memo that this, this is going on, yeah. um, you know, so that's a very important, small, but important point that usually yeah. can change the scope and uh, of how you operate, you know, during the time of crisis. One other best practice on that point is um, you can set up a dedicated hotline or a dedicated email address. And that often, it really lets you have the back of the sales customer support, right? Um, they can say, blah statement, um, pl- you know, if you have further questions, call this 1-800 number or email this, you know, um, you know, incident at blah uh, company URL. And so that allows then a couple things. One, it has their back and allows them to, to move traffic somewhere else. But it also gives you intelligence internally about the sentiment of your customers um, and the public. Um, And if they have experienced any anomalies as a result of that, it gives you intelligence about what they're thinking, feeling, and finding on their own. Um, And that can be very helpful both on the forensic side, but also on the uh, reputational uh, risk side, right? Yeah. It's interesting. um, Like, as we talk about the internal messaging, like one theme that we're we're seeing and hearing a lot right now in, in PR and reputation brand management is this notion or idea that every employee is a, is a brand spokesperson and the level to which we're able to communicate internally really can define how we're reflected externally, whether we like it or not. So like really equipping and empowering people you can still have a very managed message and a very you know, safe message to your point, Jeff, about like what you want to be out to the general public, but, but also preparing your, your staff for, to know exactly where to go and exactly know the protocol and the steps that they need to take. So that they feel it's very clear and that yeah. they, and they know. Yeah, and I think, helpful. yeah. And I think that that point is really um, highlighted or, you know, um, the importance of that point is really highlighted when you're talking about your customer success team, your sales teams, and, you know, those one-on-one conversations that they may have with partners or customers, et cetera. Um, You kind of mentioned it, you know, they are at that point in that moment, the number one brand ambassador for you. Now there's, you know, they're one-on-one conversations. So it's not like they're, they have a wide aperture of, you know, who they're talking to, but, like it or not, you know, you need to arm them to, you know, have the best success in, in those engagements. And let's, one more complexity to all this <laughs> is that sometimes the breach occurs because of, um, or the employee becomes the vector, right, for the breach. Mm-hmm. So phishing attacks are, a, a, you know, a, a prime example there. Um, and that can add, an, add a complexity um, too. Um, if you just think about internal you know, internal feelings and internal politics around these. Um, and that has yeah. to be addressed. And one thing we haven't talked about directly, I think, is if a company is has a breach, they're a victim. The company mm-hmm. is the victim. But externally, rarely are you going to be seen as the victim. You're going to be seen um, as the offender. Mm-hmm. You're going to have a lot of blame placed on you. And um, it's easy to be defensive in tonality in those situations, but you have to be humble. And a lot of times I've seen breaches actually occur through a third party integrator or something like that. 
but that company, even though it, you know, they could have had the tightest compliance risk, they could be doing all their regular patching, Mm -hmm. blah, blah, blah. They still are going to take that blame because they integrated with the company that was the victim. So. Yeah, probably, not, not to get too. You're, oh, go ahead. Sorry. Oh, sorry Megan. Uh, yeah, to that point, and not to get too technical, some of the world's largest breaches were through third party partners, integrators, and then you know it's lateral attack movement. Um, they find a they find a vulnerable third party, and then they can laterally map their way into the target organization. Uh, but to your point, like it's how we respond in that first 24, 36 hours, whatever the time frame is, whether you become the victim. A, a proactive victim or a defensive, you know, offender. And it's up to you. It's up to the communicators, the PR team, the marketers in how you're seen in that light when the dust settles on it all. Yeah. I would, I would imagine that's exactly like such a, a right moment to kind of, uh, fall into a pitfall, which might be to be too vague or like when you're defensive or feeling kind of on guard, like not putting enough info- information out there, not fully equipping your staff, that can be a really a a tough one to come back from too. It is. But initially you, you have to be vague because you're not going to have all the answers yet. You're not going to know the extent of the damage extent of the leakage, right? You're not going to know how much customer data, for example, um, was compromised. And so in the beginning, you're holding statements and your FAQ and everything. They're going to have to be a little vague and you're going to have to be humble and transparent and say, um, our forensics team is diligently investigating and we will um, be releasing additional information um, as we have it, you know, but it's it's tough because you kind of have to be vague in those first 48 hours. The thing you don't want to do is say, we're confident that no customer data was leaked because you don't know that 100% for sure first. Yeah. <laughs> and you yeah. don't want to yeah. have to keep words. That's the worst thing that could happen. I mean, yeah, you see that all the time in breaking news, how much wrong information comes out in the first hours after the fact. But this is kind of no different than that. Um, so yeah, you got to be very, very careful and you slowly expand the messaging as you rule out or from through an analysis, investigation, you know, fact finding, as you rule things out, you can expand the messaging and then communicate that. But it's, it is really a critical time, you know, in, in one of these events and, you know, how you react. Absolutely. Jeff, you, you're in a really unique position being marketer by trade, but working for a global security firm advice for fellow CMOs who maybe don't have their plan in place yet? Yeah, I mean, start now if you don't first um, and have routine coordination with your internal stakeholders. I think that's where Anna Ruth kind of started on this. It's not just, you know, your IT team or your security team or your legal team. Um, that will, I mean, that'll be dictated on the size of your organization, what vertical or line of business you're in. But I work for a security company, so we have these we have these weekly. I don't know for every company that that's quite necessarily, but a monthly meeting is not out of the the realm of possibility of what you should be doing, because it's that alignment and that's cross team collaboration that'll keep you prepared, keep you calm when it does happen. To Anna Ruth's point, you know you'll have that playbook on the shelf ready to go. Um, and I, I always, I always err on the side of caution, even for the littlest things that I think are going to have like reach the media. I always have a statement ready, and it could be the smallest, most insignificant thing, 
but it's from, I always feel better because um, yeah. I hate scramble. I hate scrambling. I hate fire drills. I like being prepared. Um, and this isn't a little thing. This is a big thing. And in many cases, for many companies, a cyber incident, uh, uh, any type of breach is probably going to be not only the most disruptive crisis comms thing, but one of the most likely. Um, so you kind of put those two things together and you can see why you need to be prepared. Um, but the, another point is, you know, having a routine around it, um, you know, once you fall out of practice, once you get apathetic, you know, you kind of leave yourself vulnerable because you can meet for, say, like you meet for a few weeks, a few quarters, whatever. You got a plan. Oh, we can skip this week. And before long, you haven't met in six months. Mm-hmm. And, you know, <laughs> I'm unlucky enough as that would be been when something would happen. But mm-hmm. just just being ready, being having the internal stakeholders from all the groups, knowing the plan, knowing what to do. Um, it's just it's just so important. Um, now, depending on the organization, hopefully that's not necessarily driven by like the CMO, but the CMO, because assuming corporate comms falls under, you know, marketing, you know, they're going to be the public facing, you know, um, entity. Um, they're going to handle the comms. They're going to be on, you know, their team's going to be manning social, manning the, the journalists and the media, manning, you know, online communities. Um, those, so, you know, outside of support and sales, you know, marketing um and corporate comms is you know the third leg of you know sort of that triad yeah one thing that just popped in my mind we didn't talk about earlier we should have is um those key messages is whoever manages your um well your chat bot right or whoever manages if you do have a human that manages the online (laughs) QA. that's really important to engage them um jeff i have an opinion on this but i'm curious in yours um you said, uh, oh wait, go back. I'm forgetting. You said something around, um, oh, uh, the weekly meetings and the monthly meetings. Curious what best practices for that are. Is it share? Is it the IT security team are sharing recent vulnerabilities that marketing should be aware of? Um, is, is, does market, should marketing do any readouts during those? Um, it would probably depend on how mature your program is, um, in organizations I've been, if you're starting from, you know, day one, you're probably going to have a lot of process brainstorming, defining, you know, who the players are, what the processes are, what needs to be done. There's going to be a lot of that kind of work, which marketing and communications probably, you know, with legal and maybe like support are going to play a bigger role. Once you mature it enough and you've got that, you know, solidified, then you're probably going to pivot to the more, you know, the security teams, the IT teams, keeping everyone abreast of, you know, what's going on. And even if it's simple updates from them, um, it's not like every company is going to have a, you know, a salvo of attacks, um, you know, weekly, let's hope not. Um, But they could be like, hey, talking about what they're doing from, you know, a um, cybersecurity awareness training, um, what they're doing, maybe implement, oh, we're implementing a new level of two-factor authentication just to keep the group, you know, apprised of what's going on and have the best situational awareness. Um, Ours are a lot more technical than that because of the business we're in, but I think, you know, that's how I would see it form and mature as you kind of grow it. Kind of question for both of you, like, it's pretty evident that there are a lot of cooks in the kitchen. And, you know, we're talking today from like 
the comms and marketing perspective. But when we when we talk about these meetings, Jeff, you know, who's kind of like the ringleader or like how do you just determine like who owns what piece? Like where do you draw the lanes? Where do you draw the lines a little bit so that there's not four different leads happening that are all running in different directions? Or have you run? Yeah, and, Maybe you haven't. Yeah, in my experience, when you're putting this type of type, quote unquote tiger team together, usually there's some pretty legitimate professionals in the room who are, understand roles, responsibilities, swim lanes. Um, and they're in that room that or virtual room for a reason. Um, that's been my experience. Um, so everyone's in that room. They, they know what they're doing and why they're there. Um, I think we use a lot of uh, project management tools, um, you know, just to keep to, to build the frameworks and the processes around that. Um, and, and that's a key point. So, you know, it helps visualize and track what you're doing mm-hmm. tactically. Um, but yeah, in my experience, that really hasn't been a problem. And you don't you don't want 40 people in these meetings. Um, you probably want one to two to three from each group, depending on the size of the internal organization. Yeah, I'd say in that crisis plan, um, usually at the start of it, you include who would be in the war room, right? And mm-hmm. this is the this is the, the the small but important community that needs to be alerted all all at the same time right away. And it's going to be, of course, general counsel, uh, put it, whatever the head of IT's title is, the CIO, VPIT, um, marketing, of course, why we're here today. Um, but your chief people are your chief HR person too, right? Um, Jeff, who yeah, and, include in that? And, and one thing, it's not just senior leadership people in that room, because there's a lot of, I don't call them low level, but analysts, um, managers that are, you know, social media manager, a, a community manager, a PR manager, PR director. Frontline um, team, for lack of a right. Yeah. Um, and so you better, I mean, I like to make sure that those people are pretty sharp as, you know, you want to hire good mm-hmm. people, but knowing that, you know, they understand what's going on. A lot of times they're just flies on the wall listening, but they understand and they can, you know, absorb and know, have the situational awareness, um, you know, during it. And that, that term comes up a lot. Um, you, you've probably heard me say it. Situational awareness is a term we use a lot um, and we use it daily. Understanding, because it changes so fast, understanding how external or internal factors um, have to evolve how it changes what you're doing and how you respond. Um, so that's half the battle, in my opinion. <laughs> um, where you don't have situational awareness is when you learn about something in the media or your customers learn about something about you in the media, then you're, you, I don't want to say the battle's lost, but it's, it's an uphill battle. Yeah. And sometimes depending on severity, you need the board, you know, board members, board chair in the room um, and the CFO, uh, because this is going to involve um, oftentimes, you know, investor uh, relations, and it can even impact um, a, a company's credit rating, right? Mm-hmm. Um, especially on the side of uh, of the amount of the ransom, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. insurance is obviously involved too. In fact, most of the time um, when a client gets into a data breach, we're actually paid by their insurance company, not not the client itself. So keep keep. Keep yeah. that element in mind too. 
Yeah, you could probably do three more um, podcasts on cyber <laughs> insurance at this point because that's yes. that's a rabbit hole in itself. Um, one thing I wanted to, did want to point out when we're talking about who's in the war room, I from my experience, the incident, the act, the actual incident response war room, like something has happened, is quite different than the recurring tactical war room or you know incident response meeting that you have every week, month, quarter, whatever it is. Um, the 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 one that happens during an incident is a there's a definitely a higher level of people because you'll have you you'll not saying you will but you could have your friend external forensics team you could have law enforcement you'll likely have external counsel mm-hmm. um, you'll have a lot of external parties in there that are there to help I mean you, you're to going back to one of the main themes you are a victim and they are help, there to help because some sort of criminal activity has been taken out against you. Um, but again, it's, it's a lot, it's a lot to, it's a lot to take on. So I hope, you know, we've provided a lot of perspective and, you know, understanding to, you know, marketers and communication professionals is, you know, what to expect and maybe where they're, where they need to focus their efforts on. Reducing that fear because the fear is what prevents us from making the plan in the first place. And, and knowing that we're prepared makes handling anything a thousand times easier. Responding rationally. Yeah. Definitely. Well, parting thoughts, guys. I mean, we've covered so much. And to your point, Jeff, probably could keep going for three more episodes. But I think this is just such a great primer that we've been able to, to provide today. Um, I've learned a lot. Um, I'm sure our audience has as well. Um, any, any thoughts to wrap up on from either of you that we haven't covered? I mean, I guess mine would be, you know, if you're not, haven't started, start today. Yeah. And if you have an agency of record, a PR agency, engage them um, about a crisis communication plan, and, um, particularly those types of agencies who specialize in that, who have, who have dealt with it, who have the experience in it. Um, it'll, <laughs> it'll remove a lot of anxiety and fear um, knowing that you're ready. But yeah, if you, if you haven't start, start, or if you've fallen out of practice, you know, start that behavior back again. Yeah, that's a great point. If you're doing an agency search, put in the RFP, you you should know if they have experience and get an example. The last thing I would say is depending on how big your marketing team is and how siloed it is, um, you've got to have everyone on the same page from media relations experts to whoever manages your SEO to whoever manages customer communications and um, and your marketing automation platform um, and content, right? Because they're all going to have to come together in these scenarios to work in concert and stay on message. Thank you both for being here, Jeff, Anna, Ruth. This has been a great episode. Um, happy to have you back anytime. Glad to chat. <laughs> we'd we'd love you. it. It's a pleasure. We'll talk about more positive things in the future. Yeah. <laughs> We're just removing fear today so that people can go ahead and, and enjoy their companies and and, and good days, the good days that we that we're prepared for. So thank you both. This has been the Provoke Media Podcast. I'm Megan Miller, and this is um, Anna Ruth Williams and Jeff Blaine. And we are so grateful for you both being here. Thank Take you. care, everybody. You've been listening to the Provoke Podcast, brought to you by Provoke Media and produced by the international broadcast specialist, Marketeers.